comedy shows and everything else that's cool at mutinyradio.fm before the internet falls apart. You too won't want to miss a bit of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival from March 2nd through 6th, 2016. Buy tickets now. Brought to you by Subliminal SF, PBR, The Eagle SF, Brainwash Cafe, Asiento, and the great people at Alta California Botanicals. Have you heard of Subliminal SF? Visual and auditory mind control. Graphic design, physical merchandise, live music promotions. Go! www.subliminalsf.com for the most amazing t-shirts you've ever seen and graphic design for every need and live music promotion at some of the best bars in San Francisco. That's Subliminal SF, visual and auditory mind control. Go to subliminalsf.com now. Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District where you can laugh off your tushy for a mere five dollars every Friday to 10 p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse, or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? <laughs> it's a cash cock, honey. <laughs> You ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? 
That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! <laughs> The dictionary definition of the adjective eclectic is selecting or choosing from various sources. When Bay Area musician J.D. Buell brings you Morning Train Wednesday 10 a.m. to noon on Mutiny Radio, that is exactly what he does. Select music from various sources to give you a unique listening experience. Rock, pop, jazz, bluegrass, gospel, funk, reggae, folk, blues, country and western, electronica, soul, disco, rhythm and blues, punk and post-punk come together with music from around the world with Buell's passionate and down-to-earth delivery. In an age of personal music delivery systems, J.D. Buell carries on the values of progressive FM radio when a listener could actually have a relationship with a programmer, someone who would create an eclectic musical environment wherein both listener and host find fulfillment. The Morning Train with J.D. Buell, Wednesday, 10 to noon on mutinyradio.fm. Freeform radio for free minds. Did you know that compact fluorescent light bulbs use 60% less energy than regular light bulbs? And that each one saves about 300 pounds of carbon dioxide a year. If all Americans switched to CFLs, we would save more than 90 billion pounds of carbon dioxide. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco. People from all over the Bay Area come to the Lindsay Wildlife Museum to experience close encounters with live wild animals. The museum's living collection features more than 50 species of non-releasable native California animals. Visitors can see and learn about wildlife such as eagles, owls, bobcats, coyotes, reptiles, and other fascinating creatures. The museum's world-renowned Wildlife Rehabilitation Hospital treats more than 5,000 wild animals each year with the goal of returning them to their native habitat. The Lindsay Wildlife Museum is in Walnut Creek. To learn more, visit wildlife-museum.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. 
Hello, and we are your friends here at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. I'm Global Val. Thanks for tuning in to Women's Magazine. Happy Friday, everybody. It is February 12th, halfway through the short month, a little bit longer this year, leap year. And you know, when I think about the calendar and uh, the way that it's organized, it's 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 really a pretty bogus uh, situation. You know, uh, I've been using a, a lunar calendar in addition to, you know, our normal everyday calendar that that we you know schedule all our modern lives on um but i've been using a lunar calendar since i was about mm, maybe like 14 or 15 years old uh it's called the luna press and it's it's printed and and produced right here in the good old us of a um in the east on the east coast i forget exactly where so i don't want to misrepresent the the origin of it but you should really check it out they've got great art and poetry in there and a very accurate lunar calendar and you know when you see all the different phases and uh, it's it's just so much more natural and as a woman it's much more it's much easier and uh, to keep track of your your cycles and your and the things that happen to you in your everyday life for me it's not you know the 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 lunar calendar for me is a way to kind of keep track of things that have happened and I I don't really write anything on it um, ahead of time I write something on it when something's cool maybe there's a special event or um, a special night or something really cool happens and uh, you write it down and then you can kind of go back and it's it's like a log um, so yeah I highly recommend it if you if you don't have a lunar calendar you should definitely get one um, and uh, and and keep it close <laughs> you can still schedule your other regular normal modern modern life stuff on a on a regular what is it a Gregorian calendar um, but, uh, and those are things where you can plan ahead. But I think a lunar calendar is a good way to just keep track of things that are happening. Um, that's my little PSA here. Thanks for tuning in to Women's Magazine today. Um, I'm going to play you a little music from our friend Ryan Casada. Um, I love Ryan Casada. What, what a rock star. Um, spokesperson. And uh, he's coming out with a new album called Shine. And uh, this is off a previous album of his called The Rhythm. And I like this song, number one, Love Around the World. Let's do it, folks.
Yeah, Ryan Casada. Thanks for spreading love around the world. I'm Global Val, and I like to spread the love too. You're listening to Women's Magazine with Global Val on MutinyRadio.fm. Thanks so much for tuning in, and of course, I hope that you're listening to our sisters in the East Bay on KPFA 94.1. That's the original Women's Magazine. They're on the air uh, 94.1 and KPFA.org every Monday from 1 to 2 p.m., and I am an outpost. Um, I hope to be putting together and doing some more editing from some of these shows I've been doing here at Mutiny uh, to send off to KPFA, Um, but they've got a great team of uh, people working together on that show, various topics, um, and uh, doing it for for the love and to spread it around the world, because we have quite a bit that we're up against here. Um, So the United Nations has registered almost 4.6 million refugees from Syria since the fighting broke out in the country several years ago, about four years ago. Of those 4.6 million refugees from Syria, almost 2.4 million are 17 and under. A huge amount of children, minors, young people, um, displaced, having fled, fled their country um, with or without their families, uh, whatever their individual situations may be, a huge, huge problem um, that, that we, we as, a, as a global community really need to be addressing um, you know, and, and, and not forget about. Um, and I know a lot, of, a lot of people are out there working, uh, helping these, these folks, um, not just from Syria, but from other war-torn countries like Afghanistan. Um, and, um, it's, it's, a, it's, it's really, it's really heart wrenching and, you know, it, it kind of, it's, it's a scary thing because last week on women's magazine, I interviewed the executive director of the Bay area anti-trafficking coalition, um, Betty Ann Bovine. And, um, the, you know, when you have, uh, all, all of these young people, you know, children of all ages, um, 2.4 million 2.4 million children, refugees. Um, it really, it really is scary. What's going to happen to all these kids? So I wanted to bring you kind of a hopeful story, a positive story, um, from Buzzfeed.com, as written by David Mack. And so the International Rescue Committee recently sent a photographer. Meredith Hutchinson, to meet with young girls in two refugee camps in Jordan to ask them about their hopes and dreams. The project is called Vision Not Victim. I like that, right? So often, you know, it's like, oh, victims, victims, right? And of course, we don't want people to get hurt. But 
let's rise above it, right? Let's go beyond that. Um, vision, not victim, uh, is the project. And so they saw the girls draw pictures of what they want to be when they grow up. Um, and uh, to imagine now they've escaped war, they've grown up. What are you? This is what they've asked these girls in um, these refugee, two refugee camps in Jordan. So each girl then participated in a photo shoot based on the drawings to pose as their grown-up selves. So they were given copies of the photos to show their families and keep as a reminder of their goals. Um, so you should really check out some of these pictures. Um, check out BuzzFeed.com. And the title of the article is uh, Refugee Girls Got to Dress Up as What They Want to Be When They Grow Up. And this is just from uh, February 2nd. So uh, th the picture, we've got Fatima, who's 12 years old, future teacher. And there she is posing in a classroom. She's got a, a blazer, like a dark blue blazer on. Uh, she's leaning forward onto a desk, kind of her hands spread. She's looking straight up. She's got a chalkboard behind her. Uh, there's different desks. It's kind of a kind of a, a dusty light in there. And she's standing there looking directly at the camera. And so this, the, I'm going to read you some of the quotes uh, that the, the translated quotes that the girls wrote. Um, remember, these are notes from the, their future selves after they've grown up and after this huge crisis. So Fatima, age 12, future teacher, says, in this image, it is early morning, and I'm waiting in my classroom for my students to arrive. I teach younger children to read and write Arabic. I'm, very, I'm a very compassionate and kind person, and so a perfect teacher. I am strict, but I go out of my way to gently help those students who are having difficulties. Malak, age 16, future police officer. Remember, these are all girls. And, she, and Malak says, I've always wanted to be a policewoman because the police not only keep people safe, but they also create justice in society. Every day I wake up, go to the station, and then head out into the city to see where I can help. I also work to inspire other young girls to become policewomen, supporting them to dream about their future and thinking about how they will overcome obstacles. Fatima, 11, future surgeon, says, In this image, and, and she's, she's looking at an x-ray, um, they dressed all the girls up in in the kind of like costume photo shoot of these, of these, uh, what they imagined their future selves, their future careers to be. So Fatima, the future surgeon says, in this image, I am examining an x-ray of a patient to see what is causing the pain in her chest. At this point in my life, I am a well-respected surgeon in the region. I treat many patients, but the patient I care mo most about, the one that drove me to be a doctor, is my father, who has a lot of medical issues. To be able to help my father, this makes me feel strong, powerful, and capable. The next girl, again, Syri Syrian refugee, um, imagining fu their future selves. Uh, Muntaha, 12, future photographer. And she's fabulous. They've got her in this kind of a blousey denim shirt and a big scarf around. She's holding a gigantic camera. She's got her hand on her hip. The other camera's down, uh, you know, hanging down you know, her pant leg. Um, she's, she's looking like she's in, you know, an active stance ready to, uh, you know, ready for uh, whatever kind of photography she might have to do that day. Um, these pictures are really great uh, by Meredith Hutchison. And she says, since I was a young girl, I loved taking people's photographs. I loved going to different events and documenting what was happening, both the good and the bad. 
Now, as a professional photographer, I use my images to inspire hope in others, to encourage love and understanding. Rama, age 13, future doctor. She's standing there in, on a, you know, in the refugee camp. She's standing there in scrubs and uh, a medical coat and a stethoscope. She's got a big smile on her face, her arms crossed. Um, and she says, walking down the street as a young girl in Syria or Jordan, I encountered many people suffering, sick or injured, and I always wanted to have the power and skills to help them. Now, as a great physician in my community, I have that ability. Easing someone's pain is the most rewarding aspect of my job. To be able to give them relief and make them smile, that is what I love most. Fatima, age 16, future architect. I've always wanted to be an architect. Yet, when I was young, people told me this is not something a woman could achieve. And they encouraged me to pursue a more feminine profession. But I dreamt constantly of making beautiful homes for families and designing buildings that bring people joy. Now that I've reached my vision, I hope I am a model for other girls, showing them that you should never give up on your dream, no matter what others say. Merwa, age 13, future painter. So cute, standing here uh, with her paintbrushes and her easel. Um, in this image, I'm a popular painter working on landscape and oils. When I was younger, painting was a hobby, but as I grew older, I, sa I saw I had a great talent and went to art school. Now I have my own ga gallery where I sell my paintings and sculptures. My hope is that my artwork inspires peace in the world and encourages people to be kind to one another. These are the voices of girls who've fled their homes in Syria. Young girls. Haja, age 12, future astronaut. Looking ready in an astronaut costume. Great pictures, Meredith. Ever since we studied the solar system in primary school, I've wanted to be an astronaut. I would imagine myself up in the sky discovering new things. Maybe like those uh, gravitational waves that uh, Roman was talking about on the weekly review right before this show. I love being an astronaut because it lets me see the world from a new angle. In this society, my path was not easy. Many people told me a girl can't become an astronaut. Now that I have achieved my goals, I would tell young girls with aspirations to not be afraid, to talk to their parents about what they want and why, to always be confident and know where you want to go. Fatima, age 11, another future police officer, which I found kind of interesting. There were a few police, future police officers. She says, I am kind. I am a kind yet serious policewoman who is respected and a role model in the community. People are not afraid of me, but call me when they're in trouble. I teach them how to respect and love one another. I fight for justice. I help the innocent. What an amazing ideal for a police officer. If we could only follow uh, young Fatima's uh, image of what, what police officers are supposed to be like. I, I like her version. I think we could get back to that or get there maybe for the first time. Basima, age 17, future chef. She's here standing behind a kind of a deli counter, big smile, apron. I've always found great pleasure in cooking. When I was young, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen with my mother learning how to create different dishes. I was really good at it. 
Now, as a chef, I have my own restaurant where I create the menu and a shop where I make and serve different dairy products like milk, cheeses, and yogurt. This next one I think is my favorite. Noor, age 16, future lawyer. She's standing there in the kind of a graduate's uh, uh, gown. She says, I want violence against women to end. I want women to be able to make decisions for the community and say their opinion without fear. I want our society to open up and give space for women to be whoever they want to be. This is why I decided to become a lawyer. When I was younger, my mother told me I was, a, was courageous and truthful and that I could be a great lawyer who fought injustice. I took her advice, and now I am a respected lawyer working on women's rights and defending women who are victims of domestic violence. Go, Noor. Amani, age 10, future pilot. I love planes. Even before I had ever been on a plane, I knew I wanted to be a pilot. Flying is adventurous and exciting. When I was younger, my brother always told me that a girl can't be a pilot, but I knew deep down this is what I wanted to do. I finished my studies and found a way to get to flight school. Now, not only do I get to live my dream, but I also get to help people travel to see the world and discover new places. One more here. Hiba, age nine, future pediatrician. And she says, well, her future self says, I've always wanted to help children. And this is what drove me to be a pediatrician. I am kind and loving and therefore an excellent doctor that children can trust. Nezreen, age 11, another future police officer. Uh, here she is uh, in the refugee camp. Looks like she's got a whistle and is uh, stopping traffic. And she's her future self says, I saw a policewoman for the first time when I was 11. Before that, I hadn't considered it as a career. At that moment in my life, I wasn't even going to school. I had just, just had no interest. But once I decided this was my dream, I studied hard and pursued it. Now that I'm a policewoman, I help many people who are in danger or trouble and encourage young girls to get their education so they can reach their goals. Thank you for listening to Women's Magazine here. I'm Global Val, and that was uh, from an article on BuzzFeed.com by David Mack, M-A-C-K, uh, posted on February 2nd called Refugee Girls Got to Dress Up as What They Want to Be When They Grow Up. Pretty powerful stuff. So in all this darkness, in all this huge humanitarian refugee crisis with people, you know, fanning the flames, of, of more war and, and hatred and uh, violence and oppression. We've got these young girls who have dreams in their hearts and are determined to become whatever they want to become. So thanks for listening to Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. You're listening to MutinyRadio.fm. And uh, we're looking forward here. We'll be right back. Here's a little more Ryan Casada. Uh, he's coming out with a new album, like I said earlier. Uh, the album, the new album is called Shine. Um, and uh, there's actually a track on this album, The Rhythm, called Shine Your Light, which may be an early version of what has become 
his latest album. Let's check it out. Peace, y'all.
Shiny light, folks. Um, that was from Ryan Sada's earlier earlier album, The Rhythm, Shine Your Light. But uh, he's come out with a new album called Shine, and the the song is different. Uh, let me tell you, it's it's like a really beautiful album too. So um, thanks, Ryan. Um, check out his music at Ryan Casata. Dot com. That's R-Y-A-N-C-A-S-S-A-T-A. Ryan Casada. Rock on, my friend. Um, so I'm going to spare you. Thanks for listening to Women's Magazine. This is Global Val here. I'm going to spare you my political commentary on the debates. Um, I feel like it's just... You guys probably can hear it enough. You can hear the excerpts. You heard them talk to each other. Uh, I'm talking about Hillary and, and Bernie. Um, I hope that no matter what, which way... You plan to vote, um, whoever you may plan to vote for. I hope that you are informed, and I hope that you're engaged. Um, you know, there could be just because there's, a, of course, um, a, there's a big malaise, right? A big kind of uh, boredom and and um, ennui, right? Our our sadness and our boredom with the political process in this country. But um, again, we still, you know. This is what this is this is what we've got right now. So I hope you get out there and get informed and vote. But I have a little poem here called Elections in America. High standards and low expectations. Or is it the other way around? We've gone so far down this schizophrenic path of hope and distrust, hand over heart and fingers crossed. It reads like a bad relationship, a series of deceptive conclusions a real page-turner of confusion, grooming itself over and over, highlighting new angles and quietly experimenting with reinvention, setting the wheels in motion to hit the tracks for another unknown destination. So wherever we go, folks, let it, let it, let it be on the high. Let it be a, a well-lit path, and uh, may we not be alone. So thanks for listening to Women's Magazine. I'm going to play... A little bit of the show from last week, um, talking about the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. We're focusing on human trafficking because the Super Bowl uh, is is a which happened here in San Francisco Bay Area last weekend um, is notoriously a time of and a place where human trafficking has a, it's it's a, a large presence of it. Um, a, a huge business uh, in this country and internationally, and a huge problem. And we're not just talking about sex trafficking, we're talking about um, kind of indentured servitude or fraud, force, fraud, or coercion, um, and the movement of, of people. Um, so I want to play a little bit of the episode from last week. So again, thanks for tuning in, and I'll be back at the end of the show to wrap it up. And then we'll be going into the Common Thread Collective here on Friday, February 12th. We're here at Mutiny Radio, 2781 21st Street at the corner of 21st and Florida in the Mission District of San Francisco, uh, my hometown and uh, a, a lovely place. And uh, wow, Whew. I don't even have words for it. So um, thanks for tuning in. Let's listen in to uh, Betty Ann Bovine from the... Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. And if you want to get the full show, you can download it or listen in um, through mutinyradio.fm podcasts, women's magazine, Fridays 2 to 3. And this, uh, what you're going to hear is from February 5th.
today on Women's Magazine. We want to shed light on uh, the dark side of big events like the Super Bowl, but not just the Super Bowl. It's a, it's a, it's a shadowy um, international and domestic business, and we're talking about human trafficking. Um, and it's something that happens around us all the time, uh, every day in our neighborhoods, um, but we may not even realize it. And so uh, it's something that would, it's a, a huge importance. It's a form of modern day slavery. And it, you know, not only uh, affects, it affects men and women, but uh, I believe disproportionately affects women and girls. Um, so thank you for joining me on today's Women's Magazine. I'm Global Val. You're listening to mutinyradio.fm. And I'm very happy to welcome my guest. She is the co-founder and executive director of the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. This is uh, Betty Ann Bovine. Betty Ann, thank you so much for joining us. For joining Thanks, me. Valerie. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Um, before the little musical break, I was talking about how uh, my, my, my interest in, in really covering this topic got sparked by a, uh, an in, uh, pardon me, an article I read by a, a flight attendant who was talking about how they become kind of the first line of defense for human trafficking because they're on flights all the time and have been trained on certain signs to look for. Um, but I wanted to talk to you today um, so we can spread this, uh, spread the information um, about human trafficking. Um, if you could tell us about the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition and, and what, what is human trafficking um, and then we'll, we'll get a little bit more into uh, how people can be aware of it and, and what we're looking at here in the Bay Area. Well, Valerie, as you mentioned, um, you know, this is a very serious topic and it's coming to everyone's kind of forefront of their mind right now with something like the Super Bowl happening. And with so many people flocking to the Bay Area, indeed, as you mentioned, kind of hearing about this through the travel industry and airlines being trained, um, the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition specializes in training frontline workers such as airport employees, uh, people in the hospitality industry, people working at hotels, on what to potentially look for that they might be seeing every day when they put their uniform on to go to work, that they could be the eyes and ears of identifying this criminal activity happening in our midst. And then we really have reached beyond that as well to really help train individual citizens of just what they can look for. And it's been amazing now that we have a national human trafficking hotline number, how many individuals have been able to report things that have truly saved lives. And how did the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition start? If you want to give a little background? It's really a great story. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I'd love to do today is to bring a little bit of levity to our conversation. I know some people can hear of this issue and just think, oh, my goodness, if I hear more about it, you know, kind of where will that lead? And will right. I kind of be bolted to my uh, chair in despair? <laughs> right. And what we really try and offer is really um, hope and perspective for community members that are interested in uh, learning how to identify more in their own what we would call traffic pattern to make sure that there's nothing happening in their realm but, um, you know, I speak all the time and people find out that I'm with the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition and they'll put up their hand and say, you don't need to say any more. I'm grateful. I live right off of Highway 101 and the on-ramp at Whipple gets crazy busy, you know, right around 9 a.m. And they think I'm actually working on Bay Area traffic, the movement of cars. And what we're really talking about here is actually the movement and exploitation of people. Trafficking in persons is actually considered to be modern-day slavery. There's an estimated over 27 million people in slavery in the world today, and this is more than in the 400 years of the transatlantic slave trade that we had. 
Uh, it's the second largest illicit trade behind drugs and guns um, and weapons trade, and basically uh, it's the fastest growing criminal activity in the world. So when we talk about fighting human trafficking, we are talking about taking on um, a very large criminal enterprise. 50% of the victims are estimated to be children, and 80% are estimated to be w women. But one of the first questions I get is people often say, well, why are people doing this? You know, why are gangs now getting involved? Uh, why is this happening so much, or why am I hearing about it more? It's because now it's been estimated to be a $150 billion annual um, business. And so people are just making a lot of money at this. I hate to say it, but they are realizing that instead of selling drugs or guns once, you can sell a human being over and over. And that has been made a lot more easy by the internet. An estimated 80% of prostitution nowadays is actually arranged online, uh, not on a street corner. And so I think the conversation's even more pertinent happening here in Silicon Valley, where we have so many benefits of the internet that we like to speak of, but we're also addressing the underbelly of the internet and how we need to be looking at websites and things that are happening online that are actually contributing to this criminal activity. So it, with, with sex trafficking, which um, is, is so huge, the, it, it's not just limited to sex trafficking. What other kind of um, human trafficking um, is happening around here in the Bay Area? Yeah, so uh, the term human trafficking, the three things that need to be proved, is that actually human trafficking is defined as the recruitment and transportation of people within or across borders, and the keywords are by force, fraud, or coercion for the goal of exploiting them economically. So um, it, what it really means is that people are profiting from the control and exploitation of others. This is showing up in our communities as domestic servitude. This is showing up as forced labor. It's showing up as child labor and it is showing up as sex trafficking. So when we are using the term human trafficking, we are talking about both labor and sex trafficking. One of the things I'd like to point out is some of the biggest cases that have broken in the Bay Area on human trafficking have actually been more under labor. Uh, so we're looking at uh, Thai workers that were brought in to supposedly work on the Bay Bridge, and instead they were given other jobs throughout the Bay Area and never paid and held in pretty horrific conditions. We had the first case of human trafficking to be prosecuted in all of Northern California, and that was actually in the suburb of Walnut Creek, and it was a domestic servitude case where teachers noticed that a nanny was dropping off kids at school every day, and they seemed to be fine. The kids were well-groomed and ran off happy, but the nanny had the same outfit on for five months in a row. Her hair was disheveled. Uh, she never met anyone's eye. And it was just enough that something was a little bit off that the teachers decided to call the cops who got the FBI involved and found that she was actually being held uh, where her documentation had been taken from her. She was being threatened with deportation. She was made to live under the stairs. She was given very little food, and she was beaten often. Um, and then a case of Passant Indian Restaurant in uh, Berkeley. And it was actually a case where people started coming in and realizing that children were serving them lunch. And they were wondering, well, why during school hours are children here serving me lunch, and it turned out over a 20-year period, the owner had been bringing in over 26 women and girls from India and uh, had been having them work just numerous hours for hardly any pay, and there was also sexual exploitation going on. So a lot of times this can actually uh, be both labor and sex trafficking, and uh, we really would like to get that message out because um, a lot of times people do immediately go to thinking, well, this is just sex trafficking. You're talking about International Boulevard in Oakland. And and what we're actually talking about is human trafficking cases happening in Woodside, Hillsborough, Atherton, 
things being pursued in Saratoga, Walnut Creek, Danville, a huge raid happened and, um, and operations were taken down there. So it's really been pervasive throughout the Bay Area and there's not a corner of the Bay Area where we could say this isn't happening. Which is, uh, thank you for sharing that because I think that that part of it is rather shocking. You know, we, we mm-hmm. don't think of these affluent suburban uh, cities and neighborhoods around the Bay Area as having anything to do with that kind of uh, what we would think of as being kind of a black market underbelly uh, type of criminal organization, um, may- maybe some other types of corruption, but 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 not quite that. So um, thank you for shedding light on some of the things happening in, in the Bay Area. And do we have any um, you know estimate of uh, the extent of this? Not just I mean within the region. I know you just mentioned a lot of the places, but do do we have? Is it hard to get statistics about this? Yes, it's very hard to get statistics, and um, one of the things that we do know is it often involves a lot of movement. Somebody may be held in San Jose but exploited throughout the East Bay and in San Francisco. Um, At any one point in time, somebody could be moved around to be a part of a bit of a ring. Uh, They really go where the money is. But from the very get-go of when I started this work, Valerie, um, I stood up on a stage in Fremont in January of 2011, right after President Obama had declared that January was National Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and we held a conference called the Freedom Summit, and we just said, hey, let's get our friends together and talk about the issue of human trafficking. Condoleezza Rice agreed to be our speaker. We had a few great musicians show up, and we had 1,700 people show up to our gathering. So not only did we need to buy a lot more sandwiches and kind of get on the game with organizing this huge event, but what that really showed us was there was an incredible interest here in the Bay Area to ask, what is this issue? How does it apply to me here in the Bay Area? And from that very first day I stood up on that stage, that was when they did the first operation in Danville, which is my hometown. So it's been very personal to me because, again, like I said, it's happening in parts of the Bay that we just don't want to believe it's happening. And so... Um, Really, in terms of numbers, what we do know is that county by county, we can start to look at victim service agencies that are starting to work with uh, victims of human trafficking. But we, um, it's really hard to get overall numbers um, on how many victims in an average day there would be in the Bay Area. Um, we have heard an estimate of up to 40% of all human trafficking on the West Coast comes through, Bay Area, uh, through the Bay Area. And what I'd love to point out is kind of why would it be so resonant here. And we do know that every form of human trafficking that has been found to exist in the United States has been found here in the Bay Area. So anytime anybody wants to try and talk to me and have me convince them, you know, that it does doesn't happen here, they get very much the opposite story, which is that um, we have, you know, as we mentioned, human trafficking is both labor trafficking and sex trafficking happening here across the Bay. What we do try and bring up is an understanding of kind of four myths around the issue, and if people can really get past those, then they're really ready to engage with us and start thinking about it in their own communities and what they may have seen that's suspicious. One of them is that they think it just happens to girls, and this really is uh, a crime that is happening to boys as well. When one of the first homes that was servicing human trafficking survivors opened in Northern California. The first call they got was from the FBI, who had just recovered 11 boys in San Francisco. So it is definitely um, a concern of both. uh, It is happening to both uh, girls and boys and men and women of all ages. Uh, The second is that it really doesn't just happen to foreign nationals. People often say, well, oh, this is just, you know, they're flying in or they're shipping them in from other places. Well, yes, in the sense of, again, it happens here in the Bay Area. We have three major international airports within 60 miles of each other. Air travel is often a form of use by traffickers.
traffickers because you don't have to have any ID for a minor under the age of 18. Traffickers are fronting as relatives, as soccer coaches, gymnastics coaches, and bringing in young children and things like that via airplanes. Um, and the other thing is, is that it's not, again, we've talked about that it's not just sex trafficking, it's also labor trafficking. Um, and so when you really start to break down these myths, what you do start to understand is you've just got to understand it's happening here. It, it's not just happening elsewhere. In the Bay Area, you have one of the largest uh, immigrant-born populations. 33% of the Bay Area is estimated to be, have born, been born internationally. And what we're finding is a lot of ethnic communities really know how to exploit their own. So within these different ethnic communities in the Bay Area, there's different forms and faces of human trafficking as they are kind of duping people to come to the Bay Area area and to California as the land of opportunity. They'll promise them good jobs and then they wind up uh, putting them out on the street um, and forcing them to sell themselves for sexual services. They will come under the lure of, hey, I got you here, I'm going to get you a job, but you owe me for that $4,000 plane flight that I just paid for you. And so they hold debt over their head. Um, the other thing is that people do ask us a lot, you know, kind of why do they not leave more often? And people need to understand that there is a lot of brutality and a lot of brainwashing that goes on. There's a lot of threatening of the person's family or saying that they will harm them. Uh, if they ever tried to run away, they would have no problem even killing one of the uh, victims so that the other ones are feeling threatened and that they wouldn't ever try and escape. Um, and in some cases, we do find that there's some, some kind of Stockholm syndrome where they actually have developed a bond with their trafficker and it's very hard for them to leave. But the Bay Area, because of our large immigrant population, because of the ports because of these three international airports and then also having the major roadways that lead to Sacramento and Reno and also down to Las Vegas and um, Los Angeles. That is why um, a lot of this is coming through the Bay Area. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's really it's really eye opening because, I mean, I, I grew up here in San Francisco and I certainly see, you know, massage parlors with uh, security cameras and bars on the windows. And, you know, uh, I actually remember being a kid one time and uh, it was at nighttime and I looked out front of my house and there, a big van had had parked right in front of my house and all and, and then a group of people um got out of the van they only had um like potato sacks with them like big uh, like pillowcases uh full full of something um they they looked a bit disheveled bedraggled and they all hmm. piled out of the van and ran across the street into somebody's garage and the garage door closed and I, even as a child i remember thinking there's something wrong with the situation here and whether that was human trafficking or whether that was some sort of you know illegal immigration um I, i'm not sure but i think that looking and being aware of some of the things around us uh is what is what is going to keep keep people's eyes open in, in an everyday kind of sense um, Absolutely. And I do think what you saw there is a great example of why it's so important that we now have been training law enforcement. Prop 35 passed a few years ago, and that was actually asking California law enforcement to be trained on human trafficking so that when they get calls from individual citizens that say, hey, you know, I just walked by a garage in my neighborhood and it looks like five guys are living in the garage. Or, you know, I'm sitting here and it's noon and there's always this kid next door that's mowing the lawn. I don't understand why he's not in school. It's very important important that we have trained law enforcement to be able to take these tips. But at the same time, there's also now a national human trafficking hotline number. And I would love to mention it here in case listeners do not have it already plugged into their cell phones, but it's a useful number to have. It's 1-888-3737-888. Again, that's one 888 
800-373-7888. And what that does is if anybody is seeing things like a massage parlor that's closing at 9 p.m., but at 8.50 there's cars pulling in and it looks like things are going on after hours, or as you mentioned, Valerie, potential places that have bars on the window and um, you know video cameras and it doesn't look like they're letting people come freely back and forth. Um, you know, we had one guy here in San Jose. Now, we don't recommend often going in and kind of uh, addressing the um, establishment, but he had seen this hair salon in San Jose, and he said, you know, um, it just seems odd to me that all these construction trucks pull in over the lunch hour to quote-unquote get a haircut, and then they all pull out an hour later. And so he decided to go in there and just ask for a haircut. Well, it took the ladies 20 minutes to find a pair of scissors. So I can tell you that that's not what they do for their primary business. And then, of course, he walked out with the best evidence of all, which is a really bad haircut. And he just <laughs> walked straight into the Santa, San Jose police and said this isn't what they do for business. And a couple weeks later, that was um, a place that was shut down as a front for prostitution. Now, one of the things I get asked a lot about, though, is, you know, well, is it prostitution or is it human trafficking? Right. And what we can say is is that you know, it's an estimated right now by the Jimmy Carter Center uh, for Peace. They've estimated that one out of every 10 people that is actually in the business of what we would call prostitution is actually what we would call a sex worker who is doing it on their own fruition. They are either posting themselves online, they are selling themselves on the street, but the other nine out of 10 people are being held against their will and have, being forced to do horrific things that none of us would want to do. And so for anybody to say, you know, well, you know, we need to just kind of know that prostitution just happens. We need to understand that nine out of 10 of those people are actually being held by a third party pimp or trafficker who now we have laws of human trafficking where we can actually stand up to that and say, no, this young person or this adult is actually being forced with, with forced fraud or coercion is being held in that position of enslavement. And we're able to help get them out and bring uh, justice to the trafficker. So um, anytime that you can prove there is a third party that is exploiting and making profits off of the demanded services of another person, that's where the uh, human trafficking laws now come to bear. In the state of California, it has been ranked as one of the top three st states in the United States for human trafficking. We have three out of the 10 worst child sex trafficking areas in the United States, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and San Diego. We do have good laws on the books. I mentioned Prop 35 to train law enforcement and to make some of the sentences for traffickers more uh, steep. But we also have the California Traffic Trafficking Victims Protection Act of 2005, but currently human trafficking carries a lighter penalty under California law than both rape or kidnapping. And really, um, the crime of human trafficking is that kind of exploitation on a daily basis. So we're moving along as a state. Uh, we're definitely, uh, the other thing we have going on is that uh, we have, uh, you know, just a very concerned population in the Bay Area. One of the things I find is that when people travel the world and they live in the Bay Area, you don't necessarily say, like, I live in Cupertino or, hey, I live in Saratoga or I live in, you say I'm from the Bay Area. And so we're actually calling on that regional identity of folks to say, we need to work on this problem as a Bay Area, as an entire region, because we can't just say that Menlo Park or Palo Alto or Danville has been eradicated with no human trafficking because it seeps across city borders very easily. It seeps across county borders. And so it truly is a regional issue that we're all coming together to work on. And uh, we've got over 50 organizations here in the Bay Area that are working to fight 
trafficking both locally and abroad. What the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition does is serves as the umbrella organization that is working to have all those groups work together and to be very coordinated in the fight against trafficking. Um, one of the things that we like to mention is that we have what we call a neighborhood watch, and everybody's got those signs in their neighborhood, right, that say all suspicious persons and activities will be reported to the police department. Right. What we're trying to do is actually not recreate the wheel. We're trying to really duplicate the neighborhood watch system into a trafficking watch to have everyone know the national hotline number, 888-3737-888, and if they see something, to say something. So it's very much like neighborhood watch. You know you see somebody breaking into your neighbor's house, and it's not little Johnny who locked himself out of the front door. You know what number to call. You know to call 911. And then you see the cop car pull up, and you see that injustice get righted. In the same way, we're asking for people throughout the Bay Area and beyond to be able to know what to look for to say something just doesn't feel right, and then to have the National Human Trafficking Hotline number in their phone, or if they see someone in eminent danger of being pushed into a car or in any kind of danger, to call 911.